Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Dice and Dachshunds. Yes, we're not dead. Yes, we're recording. Yes, we know we said we were going to record every month or so, and no, that didn't happen. But we're here now. Yes. And we still have Dachshunds. Yes, and dice. Lots of dice. And, as you can hear, a microphone. And, in the interim period, I have not only been busy not recording podcasts, I have set up a new YouTube channel called Never Enough Games, which seemed appropriate, given that our collection is now over 200 board games. There I'll be covering video game and computer game reviews, as well as board game reviews and how to play videos for various board games. I've already got one up there right now for Safranito, one of the dexterity board games we talked about in a previous episode. I'd love it if you came and checked it out, subscribed, thumbed up a few videos, maybe left a comment. That'd be awesome. So please do check it out. Never Enough Games on YouTube. Well, today we have some more games that we have played to talk about, as well as ones that we haven't played yet but are excited to. Our big co-op game extravaganza these last few months with Matthew's family has been Mechs vs. Minions which is a cooperative programming, programmable movement game with really high-end pieces and lots of thinking. Yes, and also lots of randomness, but usually not at a level that's frustrating, but one that encourages you to think on your feet and adapt. It's sort of like learning how to remix chaos into a symphony a very chaotic symphony when you're done but hopefully a symphony that involves killing lots of tiny minions and possibly exploding a giant bomb and clearly i don't listen to enough classical music (laughs) (laughs) so this game is put out by the people who make league of legends which is if you have been living under the right sort of rock a very very popular computer game Quite possibly the most popular computer game in the world. That's about all you need to know about it in order to play the game. That's it, and that even that's debatable. The board game is separate, but their vast fame means that they were able to do very a very large print run or series of print runs, and so the game is not as expensive as you would think it would be for the quality of components because the quality of components are amazing. It has this multi-tiered insert with space for every piece. There are hordes, bowlfuls of washed minions. There are beautiful, full-color player mechs. There are map tiles, double-sided map tiles that are put together in various ways to make all the different maps for the series of scenarios that the game is composed of. There are tracker pieces and goal pieces and a giant boss piece, and they are all amazing. Yeah, part of the other trade-off, not only were they able to do something like a 30,000 copy print run, which is unheard of in the board gaming world and not only are they a massive company with a gazillion dollars and the backing of a major chinese conglomerate but to further keep the price down 
they sell this game only direct. You can't find it in any of your local gaming stores. You can't find it on uh, most of the online gaming stores you would go to or even on Amazon unless somebody's reselling it as a private citizen there. In fact, right now you can't find it anywhere and that's because they're waiting for the second print run to reach the U.S. But when it is available, and in fact you can pre-order from the second print run right now, uh, you need to go to Riot Games, who's the producer of League of Legends, and check out their store. You will be able to get it there for something like $85 plus an additional $7 or so in shipping, which is not what it costs to ship something like this. So it's a fair amount of the shipping cost is subsidized into the price of the game. And you will get, as Diana said, a giant coffin box filled with something like over 100 minion miniatures and many, many, many other things. Everything is top, top quality. And as many, many other board game reviewers have said, if you waved this box under my nose somewhere and asked me what I thought it cost, I would probably have guessed 150 or $200. So the way that the game actually plays is that each player is controlling a mech, which is a character from League of Legends in a mech suit. Though, again, you don't have to actually know anything about League of Legends to play it. And in fact, none of them are in mech suits in League of Legends. They're just League of Legends characters that have been stuffed into mechs. And each player also has a narrow board in front of them with room for six of the cards. And the way that you play is you do a draft at the beginning of each round where each player gets to take a card and slot it into one of their six slots, and then in turn each player goes around and executes their cards in turn. There are cards that let you move, and cards that let you turn, and cards that let you damage things around you. Sometimes just one of these things, sometimes a combination. Sometimes you can only do one thing. Sometimes it gives you a choice. Maybe you can turn 90 degrees, but it can be either way. You can move one spot, or maybe you can move one or two spots. And so you have to take the randomness of what's on offer, plus the randomness of the fact that you didn't know what you were going to get on your next turn, plus the randomness of when you take damage, it covers up and or rearranges your cards and can also interject movement or damage of its own or turning. And so you're trying to come up with a workable program while the game that you're playing against is trying to keep you from doing that and also kill you. There's lava, there's minions, there's there's all manner of things trying to kill you. Generally for each scenario you have a different objective which can be as simple as make it to this spot and as complicated as destroy these things in this order and then go kill this other thing. And it's really amazing. You know, when I opened this box and saw that there were maybe six double-sided map tiles, I was a little concerned that there wouldn't be enough variation in the ten scenarios that are included in the box. Each of those map tiles has two sides, and... Between the two different sides and the aspects of the tiles when they're rearranged in various shapes, 
they get a lot of mileage. Each scenario feels quite different. We didn't actually start losing scenarios with our group until fairly late in the game. But every scenario, we'd start out, we'd hear the rules, we'd hear about our starting conditions, we'd hear about the goals, and we'd say, oh my gosh, there's just no way. How are we ever going to do this? And time and time again, we pulled it out at the last minute. In the last couple of scenarios, there was definitely a spike in difficulty, and we had to turn it to easy to win the last one. But it was always fun. And each of the characters threw schematic cards that you unlock over the course of the campaign develop their own personalities in terms of what they bring to the team and how they can help everybody achieve their goals. Some characters are focused primarily on doing damage and making the whole team's weapons more effective. I played Heimerdinger, who's a small, nerdy scientist type who is actually also a character I play in League of Legends, although not terribly well. And a lot of his schematics had to do with manipulating his program in really interesting ways. Along with the game itself, there is a completely optional online set of radio plays to be played before a given mission, at a certain point in a mission, at the end of a mission. And these were often charming, occasionally a bit disturbingly sexist. Like, there's only one female mech, and the narrator is, like, having this weird crush on her, and it's, it's just a little uncomfortable. So your mileage may vary a little bit with the radio plays, but they're sort of hilariously voiced. It kind of gives you a little bit more of a sense of personality for them, but they are, as I said, totally optional. You can skip them, and if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, you might want to. In fact, there's absolutely no mention of them in the box. The only reason why I knew they existed is because I've been lurking the website, looking for every tidbit of information I could find. And I should say that I think the radio plays are probably unintentionally sexist. I I agree with that. Uh, I don't think they're trying to be. Yeah, it's not that they're trying to be mean-spirited in any way. They're trying to play something for laughs, but betray no sense that the situation they've put this female character in might be uncomfortable of her kind of repeatedly being, I don't know, stalked is much too strong of a word, but just awkwardly put upon in this unrequited love situation that another character has with her. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about the board gaming hobby not being welcoming enough to women, although I'd say that it's a lot more welcoming than the video gaming community is, having spent a fair amount of time in both. Like I said, this is well-meaning. The person who wrote it probably, this probably didn't even occur to them. But there are some points that can be cringeworthy if you're paying attention. Anyway, now that we've gotten that out of our uh, out of our systems, um, it's a great game. And like I said, there is a little caveat with the radio play, but the radio play is 100% optional and the game itself is really cool. Now, the only sort of possible drawback is the whole analysis paralysis thing. Because there is a lot of, oh my gosh, what card should I get? Which has a timer on it for which card you grab during a draft. And then where should I put it on my program? And okay, of the options that I have with this program, okay, what would happen if I moved one and then turned right? 
as opposed to if I move two and then turn left. Is there any way I could accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? And there's a lot of time when it's someone else is doing that. And I found it easy to get distracted when someone else was moving through their turn and it was still two people before it was my turn. I brought out a sewing project and this solved it. So I had something to do that wouldn't actually distract me from the game. But it's really thinky and it's fun thinky. Yeah, it's very charming. And I would recommend it to anyone with kids maybe young teenagers on up. You might even be able to get away with younger than that. It's a lot of fun. It's a great family game. It's a great gamer's game. It's just a great game. It is justifiably considered one of the best games of 2016. All right. Other games we've played recently include Great Western Trail, which I've only played two-player with Matthew, but he has played three and four-player with some other family members. And it is a game about driving cattle across the Midwest by people in what country? The designer is Alexander Pfister, who I believe is German. There are some things about it that don't actually make sense in terms of like what cattle breeds are valuable and where you would be sending them. But, you know, that's not really important. It's one of two or three Western games I own that were designed by Europeans. And they do tend to have some amusing idiosyncrasies. But they tend to be really well-designed games, so, you know. It's a fairly heavy game. At first glance, it doesn't look it, and then you start trying to teach it, and you watch other people play it, and it dawns on you, or at least it dawned on me, that there's really a lot of interconnected factors going on here. But I really like this game. It is... A hybrid game, it's a European style game, where there's a light deck building component in that each player starts with a deck of okay steers, and over the course of the game they're going to be buying better steers to put into their deck to draw into their hand and use either to trade in for various benefits as they travel along the trail or sell as a herd their whole hand once they get to Kansas City, which will give them a lot of money and allow them to deliver their product further along the rail line. But the main body of the game is actually a rondelle, which is something we've talked a little bit before in the episode when we discussed Iki, but is not a very common mechanism in the board gaming world. So I'll I'll describe it again here. A rondelle is a system of action selection where in terms of deciding what a player does on their turn, that's actually controlled by them moving a piece along a circle which has various actions printed on it. And the idea is that you're limited each turn in how many spaces you can move that pawn maximum, but you can choose how far you wish to go. And each action is typically printed on the circle only once. So if you skip an action now to move further along to get to a different action faster, you won't be able to take that action again until your pawn completes the loop and comes all the way back around. So it's sort of like a pure action selection, but with that limiting factor of timing. Great Western Trail doesn't look like it's a loop. It looks like a trail, but when you've 
completed your trip from Texas to Kansas City and sold off your steers, your rancher piece goes back down to Texas, which basically starts you off at the beginning of the circle again. Like Iki, you're building onto the rondelle as you play. The trail starts with a set of neutral buildings, which are going to be the main building blocks that you use to play the game. But players can also add private buildings along the trail that can slow down or even charge their opponent's money while providing them with more powerful and varied actions than the neutral buildings will provide. And there's a bunch of other stuff added into the game. There's hiring different employees, cowboys, craftsmen, and engineers, which improve your ability to buy better cattle on the market or build better buildings or move your engine along the rail line because there's a whole rail line that runs along the top and right side of the board where you are controlling how far you can move your cattle and how they're delivered and delivering cattle removes discs from your player board that are covering up abilities and upgrades that you're going to be unlocking over the course of the game and there are stations you can offload further discs to, and employees you can install as station masters to unlock additional methods of final game scoring, and additional objectives you can collect over the course of the game, sort of like, I don't know, tickets in Ticket to Ride. So there's a lot going on in this game, but it's really, really excellent. There are like, a lot of pieces. Yes, yes, a lot of tiles particularly it's a great game like diana said there's some odd why you're driving your cattle from texas to kansas city to ship them to san francisco feels a little weird and the fact that holstein cattle are considered a more valuable breed than black angus when black angus is a beef breed and holsteins are dairy breeds and it doesn't i mean i'd have to look up the history again to be absolutely sure, but it makes no sense to me why anybody would be driving dairy cattle <laughs> across the prairie instead of just letting them hang out, munch grass, and produce milk. I don't... <laughs> well, you'll make cheese someday, but first we have to chase you across this entire nation. I, I don't get it. So, you know, there's some odd... <laughs> There are some odd aspects to the game. My parents were remarking the other night that all the engineers look like Vanderbilt and all the craftsmen look like Lennon. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Cowboys are cool, I, I guess, is, is the takeaway here. And maybe the Europeans make better cowboy games than Americans. I've only played it once, and Matthew kicked my tail. And I still haven't quite figured out why, like how exactly <laughs> this, this, how exactly I managed to fail so badly when I think it was, was it our first, both of our first game actually yes. playing it? Yes. Yeah. He, he just. You shouldn't he, have let me take all the station master tiles. That was a big part. I didn't have the things I need to get the station master tiles. He figured out the mechanism faster than I did. I know how to play, but I'm not sure I know how to win yet, but it's I'm a sure complicated we'll be playing game. A game. There's, There's a lot, a lot going, on. going on, but I really, really like it. And that one is also considered one of the great games of last year, 2016. So the third game that we wanted to talk about is Roleplayer, 
which is a game about creating a character for a role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons. And roll is spelled R-O-L-L, because it's a dice game. Traditionally, if you were going to play Dungeons & Dragons, one of the first things you would do would be to start rolling six-sided dice and assigning them to different attributes to come up with a series of values for your attributes, your strength, your intelligence, your charisma. The publishers of Dungeons & Dragons and other similar games have since come up with other ways for you to fairly assign your values to your character's attributes, but there is a certain nostalgia for the old random way to do it, because of course the new ones tend to give you a nice, fair, playable set of values, whereas the old dice-rolling mechanism could give you amazing stats or utterly broken, horrible, unplayable stats. Like my paladin with 20 strength and 10 vitality. (laughs) Rest in peace, dear fellow. (laughs) In any case, so this game is about rolling dice and assigning them to your player board in order to reach goals printed on your player board. It is way heavier than that makes it sound. The theme is fairly light, but the game itself is actually a surprisingly complicated puzzle where you're attempting to slot in dice that you've rolled to get random values in a complicated shifting matrix to get the right values in the right row without filling up the row before you're ready because if you put dice in that row, it will let you take an action that allows you to manipulate dice in other rows. Oh, and the dice are all different colors, and if you get the dice of the right colors in the right spots in the columns and rows of your board, you get more points that way. And you have an alignment that will be shifting as you buy items or learn skills that you can then use to manipulate the dice in different ways. To play this game well, you have to figure out a way to get everything to intersect just right. And that can be a bit paralyzing. I think we both went into this game expecting it to be fairly light and fun, as dice games tend to be. And I don't know about you, but I ended up with more analysis paralysis in that game than, oh, I probably have had in a while, just because I was trying to juggle so much probability and think so many steps ahead before I put each die into my grid, it was intense. Yeah, we were playing it with some friends as a, well, it's kind of late, so we'll just play this dice game before you have to go. And we were up a little later than we expected to be because there was lots of thinking. It's not that it wasn't fun. Its theme is cool, like it actually does feel a little bit like trying to roll up a character, though way more complicated than rolling up a character. Oh my gosh, you would never get to the game. I've had campaigns like that. (laughs) Well, so have I, but they weren't the good ones. (laughs) But as a game in itself, as a theme for a game, as opposed to as the beginning to an actual campaign, it's not bad, and I'd be up for trying it again and seeing if I could get my head around the puzzle better. But yes, be warned, it's thinky. I know I use that word a lot, but this one is very, very thinky. 
Well, do we want to talk a little bit about games that we are excited to play but haven't played yet? Sure. There are a whole bunch of them. There are. Well, I think the one that I'm probably most excited about is Vast, which is a asymmetrical competitive game where a knight goes into a mountain to slay a dragon. There are goblins in the mountain. And depending on how many players there are, there might also be a thief that has followed the knight into the mountain. Players include the knight, the dragon, the mountain, the goblins, and the thief. So instead of playing sort of competing wizards or merchants or role-playing game players of characters or mechs or whatever the characters in a game are set up to be, you're each playing something very different that plays, we hear, very differently. And it just sounds like a really cool idea. It sounds like it's getting a little bit mixed reviews from the board game reviewer video and podcast community, but we're excited to check it out. Yeah, I'd say in general, the balance of the reviews are positive. There are just a couple of reviewers that I set particular store by who are not sure if it actually ends up being a consistently enjoyable experience. What they've done is create a game with interlocking roles that each play very differently and have very different motivations and goals, but among those goals is making sure that nobody else wins before your faction wins. So one thing that I've heard some reviewers get frustrated with is this constant feeling like you're not trying to win, you're just trying to keep other people from winning, which may just be some difficulty adjusting their point of view. We'll have to see when we get a chance to play it. Mm -hmm. Also, the knight is female, which is really cool. Let's see. Next on the list would probably be Railways of the World. Railways of the World was originally released as Railroad Tycoon. It is a Martin Wallace railway building game where you're taking out loans and building track and developing lines and buying engines and picking up packages from one location and delivering them to another location in order to grow your network and come out the most financially robust of all the competing players. It looks really cool. It's gotten great reviews. My father is a huge fan of Martin Wallace and has been chomping at the bit to get us to play his far more complicated other railway games, of which he's designed a bunch. But Railways of the World is regarded as a really good gateway to that style of game, which I have not played before, so I'm looking forward to giving it a try. I didn't even know all of that. I just knew that that was a game that Matthew was interested in playing, so I don't have a whole lot to add to that particular one, but I'm down. It has plastic water towers and switch signals and engines and all sorts of other little bits. So I think you'll probably enjoy at least okay, that part yeah, of it. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, it had lots of little bits. Sign <laughs> me up. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been blathering on for a while now, so shall we wrap it up? Sure. Thank you very much for listening. We would love it if you went and tracked us down again on iTunes or BoardGameGeek or Podbean where you found the program and left us a review. That sort of thing helps people find us, and the more people who listen to us, the more 
excited we are to record. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, games you want us to investigate and talk about, that sort of thing. You can reach out to us at dice and that's A-N-D, dachshunds at gmail.com. And I will answer, or Diana will answer. We won't make the dachshunds answer. They don't type very well. Nope. They have fuzzy feet. That's true. Anyway, have a good night, or whatever time of day it is for you. And we'll see you next time, sometime. Okay. Thanks again for listening.